0: Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just busts through the defense. Just watch this.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Melcast. Good evening. Good evening. Munster went to Sandy Park in a game that we, I think, collectively expected them to lose. And there was a a lot of talk beforehand about whether a a losing bonus point for Munster in Sandy Park would be a good result. And I think the general opinion was that that would be a good result. Instead, they went there and got a draw. And I certainly came out of it feeling like they should have won. Uh, we had mixed opinions on whether it was a good game. I thought it was great having watched a lot of games as as a youth in Lakelands Park, which has a, a gale blowing up and down it and so I have a good estimation of how much how many points a big gale like that is worth and I thought when Munster went down into half time ten three down, I thought they were made to win that game, and I felt like they could have if they hadn't if they'd had a bit better discipline up close to the Exeter line. And I thought Exeter were surprisingly disappointing. I think you echo that view as well, don't you?
2: There were um, Because I watched the Saracens' match the next day and everybody had sort of paired them as Saracens and, and uh, Exeter are the big two from England and there's not much between them. they both won all their games in the Premiership. Um, and I saw Saracens' team, which was full of enormous, experienced internationals, and I saw an extra team which was f- had some good players and uh, quite a lot of journeymen and not an awful lot of size in there so they played a very they, they had i think they had nine kicks over the course of the game um kicks from hand that is uh, including forty minutes with an absolute fucking gale behind them, where they stuck too rigidly to what they had been doing. And, you know, there's, like there's Art Stinson is 33 or 34 years old and has been playing for that team for 11 years, playing in Windy Park for almost all of that time. So I'm not sure why he wasn't better able to dictate terms
1: in terms of where they played the game. Did you think it was... I mean, I thought it was noticeable that they kept on saying on BT that Munster had chosen to play against the wind in the first half. And I guess that the, the gamble is always what if the wind disappears because like it's invisible anyway (laughs) you know it might not be there but also it's like it's it's kind of like the equivalent to cricket you have to put up a score and then see if you can match it and it's obviously the scoreboard pressure is on you if you're chasing the second half
0: even if you have the wind i would always always take the wind in the first half if you're the better team you can put the other team to the sword and just finish the match and demoralize them and if you're not uh, you can get yourself a lead and defend it, and the longer you're ahead, the more doubt is sown uh, into the opposition. Uh, so I so I so I that I'd always take the win. I thought that it was a really good result for Munster, based on uh, like my expectations before the match, rather than uh, then I I think Len, I think Munster, given the fact that they had the win and would albeit. That Exeter finished camped on the line. I think Munster maybe would feel that they might have got a bit more. What really hit me about the match was that because it was so windy, um, any aspirations to play a wide game and to pass were, were taken out of the equation, and it was Munster's best performance of the season. And that was the most revealing part of the match. So it was a really good result. It didn't surprise me that Munster's team that, that Munster did uh competed really well when the focus was in tight in, when it was on uh contact, when it was about cohesive pack play, that the fact that CJ scored the the, the try. Um and you see how low CJ gets. I mean God like it it's it's what he's great at. Um and but then I think how Munster attempted to play last year or did play last year in the semi-final of the Pro-12 or Pro-14 uh, where they put a lot of width in the ball and probably didn't have the skill set to do it. And uh, with Carberry going down to Munster, how much they play into it. And and I think how much Van Grand wants to play that. Like Van Graan... But you, you go all the way back to Rob Penny and that idea of expanding the horizons. And I it's... It's gonna be a battle because, and it's 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 interesting from a coaching perspective. And like when we talk about Leinster, I'm gonna come back to that idea of convincing the players because like that close in close quarters game that works for Munster, and the question is how does it work against a team like Saracens who are enormous? So it worked against Exeter away, but how does it work against a team like Saracens or any any number of French teams, like? Racing would be one of them but like Montpellier or another or Toulouse or another or like Castor or another of like just behemoths from mm-hmm. France so but it was it was a super result and I think for all the Irish provinces I mean the fact that four wins but all the Irish three provinces three wins and draw, three wins I and draw. a draw sorry I'm giving a moral victory to Munster there um, that they can take there's, there's a lot of opt- optimism that's going to be garnered from that opening and weekend and it it sets everyone up well for you know what's now been seems to be universally uh titled the, the the real beginning of the season. I thought the first few weeks of the league were good, but so did I. <clears throat> um I
2: thought something that was revealing is just looking over sort of reviewing the statistics of the game was how often Munster mauled in comparison to Exeter that um, the ESPN numbers have it as Munster successful in an 11 out of 11 malls in their own ball. Extra su- successful on all their own malls but only three. Three from three. Um Extra also didn't kick. We said There's nine kicks over the course of 80 minutes uh, uh whereas Munster had 21 kicks. It was one of the only good mid-game interviews I've heard in three years that they've been doing it was with Jerry Flannery when they pushed him for a second question which you could tell he sort of mm. didn't want to answer because it was impinging on his time but they asked why are you kicking into the wind he goes well we've looked at these games that extra play if you hold the ball against them and if you do this especially in uh, Windy Park then you get turned over and they'll they'll hit you there so by you know Duncan Williams um, putting up early box kicks he set, it, set out his stall so to speak and it was a reasonably successful tactic. Uh, Duncan Williams, this isn't the first big game for Munster he started at in the competition. He actually started the 2017 quarterfinal against Toulouse in, in Tolment, where Munster whipped him stupid. I think it was 41-16 when I say I think. I just read it. <laughs> um, but he played particularly well. Raj said something about he's he's been getting stick up and down the country. And it's one thing which, like, your sub half, any province's sub half doesn't get stick up and down the country because nobody fucking cares about yep. the sub half. The place where he's got stick from before, just like Ian Keighley, is from certain section of monster fans. Um, you know, the, I thought he did well. He's, a, he's a, you know, he's their third choice now. Matheson, obviously Murray first. And who was particularly good in the two games he's played. So to have a guy come in uh, as a third-choice player and play particularly well and have an absolute highlight double-tackle moment, mm. uh, it was it was good for him.
0: Duncan Williams is associated more than anybody else with the depths of winter Six Nations matches when... Sorry, there's Pro 12 mm. matches that are on during the Six Nations. I keep on saying Pro 12. Pro, Pro, Pro 14 matches. That are on during the Six Nations when all the stars are away, and invariably they're the worst matches of the season. But in the worst n- conditions, in, in the worst well. conditions, and they get reasonably high broadcast figures because nobody wants to go outside. So you know, you know you're, you're you're watching these matches and on TV. Rugger in February, <laughs> and uh, just the dip, the the gulf between Duncan Williams and Connor Murray is is so starkly. Mm. Uh, displayed in, in those games. So the ire, you know, maybe isn't undeserved, not to be too harsh, but um, he did he did really well. And his tackle back, of course, was probably the defining moment of the match.
1: I thought so, yeah. I have a couple of notes to make on the broadcast of that game. <clears throat> it's funny that you mentioned that they went back for a second question with Jerry Flannery. I have a theory that I came up with after they interviewed uh, the Exeter coach. Pray Robert. continue. What's the extra coach's name? Baxter. Oh, Baxter. After they interviewed the extra coach, Rob Baxter. My theory is basically that Rob Baxter has timed out how long they expect him to speak. So he sort of said the same thing over and over again, but he basically filibustered until whatever the two-minute limit was up, whereas Jerry Flannery just said the thing he thought, and then they were like, we need 30 more seconds of interview here. Let's ask him another question. Okay. Um, and I just kind of think that's the kind of level that Baxter might go to. to, you know, Avoid having to answer a second question. Um, The other thing was that... You
2: think he doesn't want to tell the viewers exactly what he's thinking.
1: (laughs) Mid-game, no. Um, Strange. My other observation would be that um, somehow BT managed to have four commentators in that game. They are the main play-by-play guy. Then they had Dunja, Ugo Mane... Do they have four? And Martin Bayfield, who might have been on the touchline or something, but they uh, definitely they, had four people. I think he was touchline, which isn't unusual. And it has to be said, they kept entertaining. I thought that was an entertaining game, and I thought it was uh, an enjoyable contest, particularly given there was it was a very the drama was very centralised around the wind and the yeah that controls I, the narrative of the game. It's yeah. it's. I didn't think it was. I didn't
2: think it was a, a great game. I think the wind had a lot. To, to do with it that ensured that there was it operated in in sort of within certain parameters exactly you know in one mode and uh, there were moments in the second half when um, I think Henry Slade was very impressive uh, Jack No beat quite a lot of people mm. but Slade beat people and
1: made space as well uh, that was actually the other thing I meant to say about the broadcast was that um. Baxter had said something along the lines of, you know, we're not going to win this game against the wind by some moment of magic. It's going to be a slow process of getting the ball, like, you know, kind of up the jumper stuff. You mm. the jumper. but And that was the moment when Slade did skin someone on the outside and they made that, like, very, very dramatic break and um, Duncan Williams made very dramatic and excellent tackle. And I was like, and I was hey, you're going to win it, really. I yeah. Think they should have lost that game. I, I really do think Munster should have won it. I I agree, more, except more Exeter, that more Exeter should have lost it.
2: Yeah, except that Exeter ended ended the game coming on strong. You know, five meters from the opposition line.
1: Yeah, um, well, that, that that would lead me. And to... And again, the other
2: the other thing as well, of of course, is it should be. Uh, I'm not going to speak in the passive voice. I do recognise that games away from home are just so much harder than games at home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just way harder. So it does massively tilt the balance of the group in Munster's favour. And, they, you know, they did it the hard way. Mm-hmm. The wind wasn't exactly... Like, I think it was... I think it was exactly the same for both teams. I don't think there was any real cessation in the second half or worsening. Um, so it was... But for me, yeah, it didn't leave me cold or anything like that. I just didn't think it was a Derby classic.
0: I thought the drama of the... What would happen in the pool, depending on who won this match, was was the most interesting. I mean, given given the conditions, the sort of you could maybe maybe moan is too strong, but bleed Bleat a bit Carp. about the quality of the match. But the I, I just referred to it as a win, and I think I think it is a win. I mean, I think you're now Munster, again because of the format, and there's there, there, there a huge amount of hand wringing about the change of the from from the Heineken Cup to what was hijacked by the English and the French teams. and I think I think the worst thing is the the waiting to previous season's domestic form rather than you know a slightly longer European pedigree in terms of seedings. but I, I don't think it's hugely detracted uh, from the pool stages you, you've some years you've got matches that go all the way down. sorry permutations that go all the way down to the last day and other years you don't and that tends to be just about where power is concentrated in uh europe rather than the fact that uh the formatting has changed and i think the the move to terrestrial tv is really good but the 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 sort of the the one and six two and five three and four uh round format they didn't tinker with that they didn't change that so every you're already looking, like, I'm already looking forward to uh, Monster exeter in January. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, like, what a ding-dong match that is going to be. Because one of the teams, in, is one of the teams going to finish the cast? It depends if cast lose interest. But like, both of them have to go down and play cast, who are really, the champions of France. And they're really strong at home. And they have no interest away. So, yeah, uh, you, you're probably looking at five points for both teams. And then you're looking at what happens in the rest of the groups. It's a great format. It's, it's a super competition um, and it, it keeps giving. Mm. Um,
1: just You mentioned there that uh, Exeter finished on Munster's line um, and that came about because of the kind of first real foot out of place by Joey Carby who kicked the ball low and flat and didn't realize that. That, that could happen to a bishop mm-hmm. given the conditions. Yeah, exactly. So I, I certainly I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang it on him. Um, but more generally, um, how did you think he played as uh, a ten in a in a limited game plan in difficult conditions? I thought he played it really well.
2: You know, I thought he outshone Steenson. Uh, as I said previously. And um, apologies for repeating myself. That's Steenson's home ground and has been his home ground for a long time. I expected him to be able to play for position. And use the conditions which are not unusual, um, you know, to a far greater degree than Joey Carberry. And he wasn't and didn't. Mm. He also, again, while the, the wind prevented him to, to you know, a very reasonable degree, he also wasn't able to use his 13 and his 14 Nolan Slade uh, in the first half at all. You know, when they had more the ball and when they had. You know, the win behind them. Whereas in when they got the ball in more broken play in the second half, they were very effective. So I felt that in, in an out half duel, so to speak, that Carbery clearly won.
0: I think I, I would be more critical of, of Carbury's kick near the end. Um, I do wonder about that phrase game management because I think it exists, but I don't think it's the solely the responsibility of the out half um and it's it's a it's a matter of it's a combination of option taking and execution so eddie jones in particular will be about like the the game is chaotic so you you can't put a shape on it but it's very difficult for one man to to mold 29 others it it tends to be a a team and this is where like thorny gets there, there is something to the Leinster machine. There is something to a cohesive unit. But, but any team, like you know, any team that plays to its strengths, that has particularly good forward pack, and plays an eight or nine uh, man version of rugby, that's game management. So I, I do that, like that's a slip, and I think Munster got away with it. I don't think was it Garces was refereeing that match. He, he wasn't keen to give a penalty at the end, mm. and I think wear it in torment. And Exeter were defending their line. I think I think you would have given a penalty. I think Munster are still one of like Europe's big teams, and at home they they get that decision from the ref. And Exeter aren't there yet, and they don't. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Some of the fans not happy with that. Uh,
1: you mentioned something earlier on about um, one of the things that Exeter lacked, which was huge size. And on second captains on Monday, they had James Collin on, who's now a, a coach in Pow, And he was talking about what you would do to stop Leinster. And he was saying, "Well, keep the ball away from them. And the only team who's really put the brakes on Leinster in 2018 is uh, Racing in the final. Mm-hmm. And like size and like aggressive defense was a big part of that. And then also, I think something that was a big part of that was that the occasion meant that The ref didn't necessarily want to start giving away penalties that weren't worthy of three points in a final, if you know what I mean. I do. Um, uh, You cannot win anything in October. You can only lose tournaments in October, as I say. Um, But Leinster looked like the best team in Europe by a street. How good or bad was the performance? And how good or bad were Wasps? Second half performance was outstanding.
2: Um, it was a nice, brilliant forty minutes. of will be practically every level. There's, there's nothing you can really, you can quibble with anything. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect game, but it was, you know, six tries in forty minutes. Three of them crackers, uh, and the ability to turn the screw, take the game away within two minutes of the of the <clears throat> the game restarting and then just keep on going right to the end you know playing a full 80 minutes it was pretty special against that is the fact that that wasps team are injury stricken and a shadow of the team that they were even uh 18 months ago i was looking at the team that played against leinster in the 2016-17 quarter final uh for wasps and that read curtly uh, beal full fullback christian wade and willie larue on the wings
1: she go back three, yeah.
2: Elliot daly and jimmy gotworth in the centers cipriani and robson at uh, the halves matt mullen tom taylor who was there uh, cooper woolley at tight head launchbury mile haskell tom young and nathan hughes that was the team that played in the uh, so while well, there's much for munchness in the pack they're better at every single position in the back line. Mm. So it wasn't a good Wasps team uh, and that, that lined out against Leinster.
0: And Nathan Hughes and Launchbury were missing.
2: Yeah. You know, so... um, They they actually tackled really well in the first half. They defended really well. They got off the line really quickly. Sometimes they're a little bit cynical in terms of, you know, the the offside line is... Towards the back of the rock, rather right than the most foot. Uh, they had a couple of knockdowns. But they also just tackled like uh, really hard and diligent pros. And it took Lencer a good while to break them down. But when they broke them down, mostly due to Sopawaga uh, being bent, Lencer just exploited that absolutely ruthlessly and tore them up.
0: I heard. I've heard a few people compare the halves, and I thought that the the first half led to the second half. I thought that the amount of tackles that Wasps had to make, and how consistent Leinster were in their approach, uh, was was striking about the match. And that's really that's kind of so talking about the the idea of a coach trying to implement a game plan so i like i'm thinking of van gran looking to expand Munster's horizons against cuz i found this as a coach what happens when you want to do something um because you think partly because you know you just you want to do it it's it's your philosophy of how the game will played because you have to admit that and put it, but mainly because you you think to yourself this will suit our team more if you know we put more weight in it, or if we can play in more than one way. This will, and your team is sort of—they're not convinced. They—they they want to run into bags and they want to <clears throat> smash each other up. They want to play some heads it, up rugby, don't they? Or they want to go around the corner. Um, and how do you get the team to listen to you? Ultimately. I mean, okay, they listen to you and they do the drills and all this. But, like, really believe in in what you're peddling. And I think that Leinster completely believe at Lancaster. Having won the double with them last season. And, you know, they hear him every week. But I think think winning just, just copper fastens it. And Lancaster has a real idea about how he wants to play and... Like you're seeing that with Leinster. I mean, like what struck me was the fact that a lot of time Leinster went two out a lot rather than one out, but it's really, really close in. And the biggest impact that had was that they knew where the rook was going to be and they just piled into the breakdown immediately so it wasn't the, like you know you can talk about breakdown technique and you know how they rooks and all that sort of stuff like yeah granted they, they did but that's not the most important thing the most important thing is getting bodies to the ball quickly like knowing where the next breakdown is going to be mm-hmm. and and Leinster know where that next breakdown is going to be and you can see the amount of guys that they have like the, the idea that, that phrase the American football phrase of guys being in motion like Reese Ruddock made a run um, James Tracy made a run that had the number nine past it they'd have been there and he just ran in front of them and like he didn't he didn't obstruct anybody but guys are just putting themselves in the position to run it the obvious guy now who did get in the end of it was james ryan in the lead up to was it luke mcgrath scored that try no it was the second james low try the second james yeah. low try so mcgrath was talking about it after his going that ball wasn't i don't know even know how he held on to it that ball was meant to be for johnny sexton like, I fired that pass. and But Ryan was looking for that run and had the ability to, to hold on to that ball that was fired into him, plus had the ability to, um, to make the offload afterwards. But, like... Even the ones that go out to one person and then get moved on. It's only a short tip on, but it doesn't allow the defence to set up. And it's very different from just going one out, one out, one out, when it's obvious who's going to get the ball and two guys like combined to defend. Whereas if the first guy is going to get it and then move it inside or outside, it's much harder to defend because you can't commit two guys to the first because you're just leaving a big hole for the second guy to go into. Mm. And once you get to that, because like attacked really narrowly in the first half and attacked really narrowly for a lot of the second half and then went wide when wasps were tired uh and Wasso dropped the head but what really so apart from like where they attacked on the pitch how clean the rook ball was so you sort of when you're approaching it you think i want to put like one three three one, or I want to put two four two in place, and I want to have this big picture of where guys are going to end up. And like, doubtless, the players have an idea of where they're going to go on the pitch. But in my experience, what makes the biggest impact is actually the micro skills. If, like, I, I choose to phrase it like that, as in like your tackle technique, your breakdown technique, your ball placement, and like just constant repetition of those individual skills until they get really good. Because I mean, time after time, the ball just came back. Bing, 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 bing. And if Luke McGrath wasn't there to pass it, another guy knew to go in and pass it. So you've got, like, from James Ryan's pass, James Conan wasn't in there immediately, but he knew enough to go to the base of that rook and move it. Mm-hmm. Move it to Johnny Sexton. So go to the base of the rook, move it. Reasonable enough skill level. there crisply enough. Whereas at another time, after that break, the ball just sits at the back of the rook because the scrum half isn't there and guys are thinking, shit, which part i me? in? Like, I've got to go and line myself up against a post. You know, I, I, I sort of know and how you get everybody to understand and agree to that like it sounds quite obvious when one person is saying it and it is but then to get like 36 guys in the squad to agree to sort of buy in to use that phrase to, to to commit to the uniform way of playing that's game management to to my view and it is the scary thing for everyone else in the competition because you're sort of going, shit, like, Leinster look hungry. And not only do they look hungry, like, that looks like a style of play that's going to be really, really hard to defend against because the other thing that, that came out of that match is I was going through, so I'll name a team now, and I go through Leinster's team that didn't play, and you go going, like, Jack McGrath, James Tracy, James, uh, Andrew Porter, say, Fardy and Maloney, Sean O'Brien, Dan Levy, Max Deegan... Goodison Park, um, uh, Burn Ross Burn. Uh, say you've got Rory O'Loughlin and Tamani in the centres. Say you've got Ferg and Barry Daly on the wings, and then Dave Carney at fullback. And you go like, that's class. Like that, that's a good mm-hmm. first. That's a good fifteen. Mm-hmm. All playing in the proper positions. You've got two of the last Test lines and a guy who was in the last World Cup final in the pack, <laughs> and that's training against the team that started at the weekend, and that's. That's the story of Kilkenny. And you're going, like, how much is that worth? Whereas you look at other squads, and I, I can't think of any other squad that has that. Maybe Rassing, Maybe, do Rassin have that depth where they've got that level of competition? Rassin have a huge... Have an enormous amount of players.
2: Huge amount of very good players. They just have a huge... When you look at their, when you look at their website, firstly, lovely clobber. Secondly, they have a massive squad. 50 in their squad and every single player is an international but, back to Kilkenny, but they're all
1: old but back to Kilkenny you, just, you think it's just competition
0: for your own place it's, it's what not, drives it's not, not just that I think it's the quality of training as well I think it's the fact that you're you're playing matches that are competitive and you're playing it at a like a high pace I think there's the fact that there's guys on the second team who legitimately think so we talked a lot about Sean O'Brien in the last I mean like who wants to train against Sean O'Brien maybe he's the fellow that left
2: the government
0: who wants to play against Sean O'Brien you Mm. you know in, in, in training for example like Fogarty's talking about the edge that he brings but say like Fardy's like that like what's what's Jack McGrath like what's what's Tamani like what's Rory I mean like so there is, there is a sort of a split. But like, Ferg, you know, there is a split between the first and the second team. But like, if there's guys on the second, if there's enough guys in the second team, and it doesn't have to be a huge amount who just go like, we're going to kick the shit. And it's not talk, it's, it's going out and doing it. Like, say Fardy and Sean O'Brien is enough. I
1: have a question for both of you then. Uh, do you think there's anything demonstrably that's tactically different uh, that Leinster are doing this year that they didn't do last year? Or do you think it's just... Mm. increased increased competition, uh, increased... Um,
2: getting your strongest team on the pitch is a big deal. That was the strongest... Uh, Leinster had, oh, apart from Dan Levy really pulling out in the uh, in the warm-up. I can't remember the last time Leinster had a completely full... Or most teams don't, but had a completely full deck to choose from. They could just choose whoever, exactly who they wanted in the position that they wanted them in. Um, yeah. and it makes a makes a big difference you know like last year still on the books Jamie Heaslip um, Sean O'Brien was injured for most of the year Richard was injured for half the year Josh Vanderfleer was injured for half of the year it meant a return to prominence of Jordy Murphy who's now gone um, and then you know a huge rise in prominence in Dan Levy but when you have all of them available for selection, when, you know, I know Jamie, he's gone and Jordy Murphy's gone to Ulster, but when you have O'Brien, van der Fleer, Levy.
0: Ruddock, Deegan, Keelan,
2: Conan. And, yeah. You know, that's a lot of players. There's a, there's, a lad co- there's a lad coming up. Uh, this chap, Scott Penny, who's playing for the A's, open side flanker. Um, I think he left school last year. And he's a, he's a classic flanker in the, you know, Sam Kane, Josh, Josh Cronfield mode. He's scored seven tries in the last three games he's played. And, you know, he, it looks like an absolute, he, he's ready to play in the, in the Pro 14 as a 19-year-old or whatever he is. Um, Doris, again, is another a good player. I, I was actually at the, uh, the Leinster A, Munster A, Celtic Cup. I'm not sure if it was a, a semi-final or if it was just sort of a deciding league fixture, but uh, Munster had, had, you know, that was a really good Munster team with Bill Johnson especially, good at out half. You sort of were good, it's strong, it's good. Um it's but awkward. Good. Um, but Leinster took it away from, I think it was 46, 25 or 45, 26 in the end. And just when Leinster were able to bring off a, a bench of players, like the two, Ber- the Burn twins, especially who were excellent. Kieran Frawley came on late. Um just a really there's there's real strength there. That was that was actually it was it was the afternoon before the the Wasps game. They're able to feel this really, really strong A-side, you know, nine-minute walk down the road from the RDS with Dave Kearney on it, who's got like who played in the World Cup quarter final, had a burn in one ring. Noel Reed, who's captain, was playing at, at uh ten. Uh and it was a super game. It was a good contest in the first half. But that level of strength and in, in depth is... I would actually... I actually think, despite Johnny Sexton saying that the squad is, is weaker than it was last year, I actually think that the in-house competition is possibly a little stronger. Maybe they, they don't have the same leadership as they did when the Eason Asiwa was there. But its uh, they're bringing guys into the system who are... Look very pro ready for lads who just did
0: to their Yeah, even guys who have won a test series down under on top of having won the Grand Slam, on top of having won the double, and you know, that's all had time to settle down and breathe. Tactically the it's just everything is quicker. Um Nick McCarthy took a bit of time to get used to the pace of the game and was on at the end, I think, you know, when Wasps essentially had, had uh, hoisted the white flag and ended I up, they threw in the tower Ended actually. up uh, through in the tail, rather. Yeah. And ended up in a few rooks. But then got up to the pace of the game and was just there like snapping the ball away and that almost seamlessly falling in on top of Luke McGrath. Nick McCarthy is not a guy that uh Leo Cullen has an enormous amount of belief in, just based on my interpretation of like how long he's left him on the touchline of matches, even to the extent when he's been warming up and the game has kind of been in the balance, and like Cullen just leaves him there, like just just running up and down or jumping on the spot, and you're sort of going, Jesus, like when is this guy going to get a chance? But like with two minutes left, and he's he's kind of fulfilled his obligation to to give him a run, but he looked really good. Now most scrumhaws are going to look really good behind a pack going forward, but everything was so quick and it it just. Cried out to me of a team doing this on a weekly basis mm. in training. It's again, what he's used to again. seeing. I
2: will. I will say about Nick, Nick McCarthy is that you know he played something like nineteen or twenty games for the Irish under twenties. He captained the side in his second year. Like he's you know, a really outstanding rugby pedigree. It's just that the nature of uh, the personnel ahead of him. You have Gibson Park. Who is, should be available to play every single game when when fit, and Luke McGrath, who's either third or fourth depending on the current pecking order, Scrum Haffsen does, doesn't miss a lot of games either. Mm. So it's just not a huge amount of opportunity for him. And if Gibson Park next year, when Gibson Park is uh, Irish qualified, there could be less rather than more. You know, because then it becomes it doesn't become a loaded Gibson Park selection. It's just a lot less loaded. Uh, than it has been for the previous two seasons where he's, he eliminates uh, the selection of, an, of another player which has a knock-on affection uh, of another partnership. Mm. So uh, Nick McCarthy's good, but where the men's going to come from? It's the same with uh, quite a number of good young players. Um, in Leinster's most obviously, but
1: in other, in other provinces as well. Where do you get the games? Well, they're basically an international side... Uh, but hardly a diverse culture of talent they may as well play in green says at charlie underscore boy 1971 in what is the most uh, trenchant criticism of Leinster for the weekend sick burn open fortress ravers on 34 minutes marty moore came off the bench with a twix stuck down his, his pants
2: <laughs> that's
1: slander he may or may not have had a Twix of that his pants. Who half, knows? Half a Twix. Half, half Twix. <laughs> half one finger or just one finger of <laughs> <half> two?
2: <laughs> anyway,
1: he came on and uh, the tide turned. Uh, Marty Moore's back uh, after stepping, after winning two Six Nations for Ireland and then disappearing.
2: His choice, his choice, um, he wanted to play. I remember his, his quote when he left Leinster to go to us was I want to play for Di Young and that, you know, wasn't unreasonable. Dayong Young was one of the best tight heads in the world at one stage. Uh, I'll defer to you about Dayong's Young's early career.
0: Played for the Lions in '89 at a, a very young age. Uh, before that, played against Gareth Chilcott, who said, uh, You keep on up with that boy, and you're gonna live up to your name. <laughs> Also, is a massive head and back, as I saw he, at the Yeah,
2: <laughs> that is a big shirt. Yeah. Um,
1: so Diong was
2: like, I think he went on three lines tours, including one before going to
0: rugby league, and then two. He went. He went after. in 99, and he went. I think in ninety seven, and I don't. Yeah, did he go 93? No, I think he was playing pro at that stage. Okay. I'd have thought. No, he didn't because the. Okay. Well, Brunel and. Uh, the you know, the poor prop teapot went on that. Oh yeah. And then Leonard had to move across. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but one on either side of and a
2: Poppy. of a uh, of a rugby league career. So he went and it didn't really work out from that well in in wasps. Um, and then he's back in Ulster and unfortunately the first thing that happened to him was that, you know, he's been more or less injured since arriving. But he made an enormous difference when he replaced uh, Ross Kane at the end of the first half. Coming towards the end of the first half. How many minutes in? 34 minutes, we said. Okay. Come on.
0: Yeah, I had this vision in my head, given Ulster were very briefly known as the White Knights. And it's it stuck with me forever, the White me too, Knights. Me too, me uh, too. Which <laughs> says something. I think people, certainly I always looked at it derisively, but it, it is catchy. And... It, it just struck me of, of Marty probably being the most unlikely knight in shining armour coming in in a charger except it was a short, broad charger not going at 100 miles hour, which is unfair because Marty makes a lot of tackles but it was a great reminder that uh, no scrum, no win and on the inverse if you've got a quality tight head you are in clover yeah, there is like it, it's the most important part of the And Marty's in a funny situation because John Hayes was was great for a long time. But if like woe betide either Munster or Ireland or if if John if John Hayes was missing, and we we're talking about your ability last week, I yeah, mean, like it's testament. To, it's testament to Hayes' durability. How because like he played eighty minutes in most matches. Like I don't think any props play eighty minutes anymore. And Hayes just like not only did he play every match, he played all of every match. Yeah. And then when he was on the wane, it uh, like he was he was kept there for too long. He was kept there it for Ireland, like past his best, and he couldn't perform at what he had been able to do. It was like boxer in a, animal, farm. animal Farm. Um. Because because he was so important, mm. uh, and then Mike Ross was was kidney relented and and picked Mike Ross, and then Mike Ross became so important that even with Brian O'Driscoll on the team, Mike Ross was our most important player because the drop was was far bigger, and the match in Twickenham in two thousand and twelve was the yeah, was the twelve, living yeah. was the living embodiment of what happens when Mike Ross goes off. Mm-hmm. And Marty Moore followed him in and sort of shared the duties when in, in back-to-back Six Nations. Yeah, and then Ty Furlong 50. came along. So it was just, oh well, geez, we've Ty Furlong now. And, you know, broadly speaking, like Porter and John Ryan have provided competition to Furlong and they've been able to back him up at different times, either starting or replacing. So Marty's kind of become the forgotten man that he isn't. he isn't essential. But a guy who's able... To win back-to-back Six Nations at, at tight head is always, always, yeah, as a young always going to be, yeah. In his, in his early 20s, yeah. he's always going to be valuable.
1: I think it's extremely valuable also that he's come back to remind us of all, remind everyone um, that the grass is not greener as well. Like, I mean, he, Good he point. he's such a, a useful parable for the RFU when they're negotiating contracts. It's like, okay, go to the premiership. You know see what they care shit about your welfare in the in the you know amount of matches you have to play or when you're injured or like when they're thinking big picture their big picture is can we get it to europe next year our big picture is you know highest honors at international level
2: that's a good point i i hadn't looked at it really from from that point of view um
1: I, I, sorry marty moore left in 20 after 2014 so 14, no 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 he, he played played uh, the
2: 2015 oh, sorry after yeah after he didn't go to the World Cup yeah after after the 2014 15 season so he
1: played in and w- w- when did Sexton well w- sir when did the, the line get drawn in the sand invisibly about leaving
0: he knew but, uh, when when Nusafora came in so I don't know if he negotiated... I I didn't I didn't look up whether he negotiated with Nusafora. But if he left and News was conducting the negotiations, no, he was Well, wasn't. do you
2: remember that at the time he, there, there was the phrase heads of agreement? Is that the right phrase that had been yeah, signed? Yeah. That Marty wasn't sure whether or not he'd actually signed a contract or he'd
1: signed a, you know, a pre-contract. Because this is that ha- happened with Welsh players. And they had like, we have, you know, pre-agreed to sign a contract but not signed the yeah. actual, yeah, inked it.
2: Uh, and you know, the. News 4 and Joe Smith wanted him enough that there was there was, a, uh, there was a, a meeting or maybe even a couple of meetings about whether or not this was what he wanted to do. Um, and at the time, you know, like he, it wasn't like he was, oh, we have to pick somebody in the, you know, the number 18 jersey. Like Marty Moore was playing 25 minutes and, you know, 31 minutes of Six Nations games. I remember he came on against Wales and played half an hour as, you know, probably a 23 or 24-year-old tight head, which is, and he's, and he's good, you know. Like, Marty Moore's a really good tackler. Um, he's, obviously, a, he's extremely solid scrummager. He's a difficult scrummager. Uh, he's good over the ball. Uh, he's in the right place a lot. And he's in the right place, and he's got nice hands. Like he's, he's a good rugby player. Um, doesn't have a good engine. You know, it's going to be difficult if you're whatever he is, like one meter, 80 and 126, 127 kilos. You're not going to get a lot of, you know, 60 minute games from him, Mm -hmm. but he's, um, but he's actually a serious player. And I'm I'm really happy to see him back playing in Ireland and and having an effect because he's like, he's a good, strong player and a, and he's there one. at
0: the right time of his career, so, you know, talking about guys going over to the UK, particularly props, um, not even the UK, the like guys going to France, just guys leaving Ireland and, and not being able to play for Ireland is, and again, particularly props, There's there can be life after that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he didn't go to the World Cup, he missed out in the Grand Slam, and he can sort of, you know, he have? Would he've? I mean, he would have gone to the World Cup because he was playing for Ireland and he was playing in matches uh, prior to the World Cup. So he would have definitely gone to the World Cup. Mm. Um, he's he's back in time to put himself in in a in with the shout of going to another one. Uh, and if he plays well, it's it's huge because he's like he's a test quality uh, he's a test quality tighthead, and he's also coming back to Ulster at a time where he can he can play the rest of his career at Ulster. And it's one of the, the one of the guys. He'll be identified with Ulster. He'll be well, identified he with Ulster. The there, yeah. And somebody, one of the journals, put a a tweet into the ether to ask people what was you know what's the best fifteen of the club that you support, like all all the different eras that you, you want to pick. And Robbie Kempson was on about three different. Like he was on, he was on a lot of Ulster teams. I think uh, he was on a few Stormers teams. I think he was on. I can't remember the third. Like I'm gonna say Northampton, Northampton it? Yeah. but it might have been like it might have been the the cheetahs or something like that. But like the impact because Robbie, I remember when Robbie Kempson played for uh, he he played in both sides for Ulster. And no matter what side he was on, he was destructive, and I remember seeing Sylvan Marconay. He could play on both sides, and he did he did it for he was playing for like uh, for Stade Français, and then he played a bit for Biritz. And like he was a beast, particularly towards the end of his career yeah. when, you know, he he couldn't do as much of anything else, but it didn't matter because he was just a beast. Like he absolutely buckled Declan Fitzpatrick and Rory Best, uh, which wouldn't make any sense because he's a loose head, but like he just, he just buckled him. He was an, he was an incredible, he was a monster and like, like really, really good, strong experience props Everyone loves them. If they don't build them like that anymore. <clears throat> Thunder's in there.
1: That'll knock the wind out of him. Looking forward then, lastly, to next week's, uh, this weekend's fixtures. Um, Munster are starting, to clock, starting off the weekend. Uh, well, no, sorry, there's a Friday night game. But Munster kick off Saturday, 1 o'clock in of Park at home against Gloucester, who are one of the teams on uh, the receiving end of a miracle match against Munster at some point. Um, I see this as a, a complete paddling for Munster.
2: If 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 it was later, it would be a classic paddling. <laughs> if it was like a five o'clock or even a 7.15 kickoff, it would be an enormous paddle fest. One o'clock, gives it might, might be less embarrassing for Gloucester.
1: Yeah there's, there's, yeah there's no way this goes it's just it's just it's just pent up explosion and gloucester are in the way yeah well playing in with is um english english clubs
2: do terribly down there and uh there is there's a small side story uh a minor side story which is uh the return of Gobrand Grobler, the drug Gobler. Yeah. Who knows how the lion calls? <laughs> but um, I think that is. I'm looking forward to because uh, it's it's Cipriani's Gloucester now, and it'll be just it'll be interesting to see him play and and um, he's going to get munched. I don't even dislike Cipriani, but uh, I do like. I do
0: like seeing them getting munched though. It's, it's it's hard to see Gloucester getting anything from this match. And if Munster don't get a bonus, that'd be disappointed. Bonus point, forty-five bonus point, yeah.
1: Thirty five ten job to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh speaking of five thirty kickoffs, Ulster go and play in the the whatever shopping centre that Rossing play in with the Glitzy lights, the disco the pitch stuck on beside it indoors. Uh that for me is a <clears throat> it's a five point win for Rossing as well I don't see I don't see Ulster going there and inflicting themselves on
0: the uh,
1: nicely togged out wrestling team
0: can Marty Moore tackle Zeebs we shall find out yeah, um, yeah we talked about we talked about Ulster's uh, favouring let's say the, the Ravenhill matches in the Heineken Cup but probably it not being a bad thing if, if they lost away, which is an odd way to approach any match, but at the stage that they're at, uh, I think a point would be a bit of a triumph. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how psychologically they approach it, but and look very strong.
2: That they're a Rassen certainty. <laughs> <laughs> dreadful.
0: dreadful. Um,
1: probably with four commentators uh, in tow on Sunday afternoon, Leinster are travelling to the team with either the uh, sneaky wizard on the wing or the luckiest team in the land, uh, Toulouse. Um, this is really interesting, I think. Uh, Leinster-Toulouse has sort of kind of history in the European Cup as being a, a fascinating tie. There's been semi-finals between the teams. There's also been a remarkable Quarter. quarterfinal victory for Leinster in 2006, which I guess announced the birth of the con- the current version of Leinster, I think. Uh, the Dennis Hickey try and the Felipe Contempomi-influenced um, version of the team.
0: It's funny, I, I would have said it was the death of old Leinster. It was, it was the last glory roar because they got decimated by Munster in yeah. the following match. And and check a change, but anyway, sorry, go on. Interesting. Um, nonetheless,
1: they're the two teams with the. Uh, it's like Leinster look amazing. If you certainly, if you judged um, last Saturday afternoon's game against Bath, you would by 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 what the I thought I thought I thought excellent analysis of O'Gara and Geno... Uh, on Virgin One was, um, you would not really put Toulouse in the same class as a team like Racing. Oh, I agree. Yeah,
2: yeah, I absolutely agree. And they're they're not a particularly coherent team.
1: Would you put them in the same class as a team like would Would you say they're as good as
0: Saracens? No, 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 no,
1: no. Or would you no. say they're as good as Scarlets?
0: Uh, it's it's that's yeah, apples and oranges. Very different team from Scarlet's. Uh and so my interpretation of that is that Toulouse have like a bucket of really good players and are sort of trying to discover the way of playing like Toulouse. Like they kept the ball very well against Bath, but then they you know, they, they shoveled some egregious passes. Um but, you you know, you've, you've got to make those... Like, you know, once you decide to stop doing it, then it's just a man-up-a-thon. Whereas Scarlet's... Okay, look, Scarlet's have good players. Um, like, Johnny Davis is back. But they don't have anything like the quality, you know, names on the team sheet. But they're really, really well-drilled. Now, I think Scarlet's have... Obviously, have lost a few guys um, in the last few seasons. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a hit to them because...
2: Well, they lost their their best player last year, Tyburn.
0: Yeah. You know, and... They have Johnny Davis back, who's their best player.
2: Yeah. But getting back to to Toulouse... But they lost Barkley as well. Yeah. Toulouse are... um, No, they're nowhere near as good as Saracens. The more... I think the more apt and obvious thing is where where do they compare to Toulon at the moment? Yeah. Uh, Long-time rivals in, in French rugby... And also in the dictionary. I don't know if you be rivals in the dictionary. Um, but Toulon's loss to uh, Newcastle was really surprising. And they obviously neither team, neither French team is the team that they had previously been at their height. Toulon's height was much more recent than Toulouse's. Um, the game against Leicester is going to be, it's not going to be any sort of, Uh, fling around game Toulouse's pitch is always super heavy they've had a lot of heavy rain there recently they have a huge pack you know like it's a cliche because cliches generally get repeated because they're true French packs and especially the modern packs of of the top 14 are often picked for size ahead of ahead of footballing ability or pace there's some particular there's like there's a couple of absolutely massive specimens in that in that lose t- some long long serving guys like Joe Corey kind of may not be in there now because of his his borderline hit on Jamie Roberts uh, but you know they've got the big Maca lad who is a, an absolute colossus he's one of the as I was saying off off mike before, he's one of the five percent of Fords who lies about their weights downwards. <laughs> you know, there's Will Skelton, him, Charlie Famina, Charlie Famina. Like, they they just have a huge back. That's going to be paid on a soft pitch. You know, I don't know what the forecast is like. I expect that it'll be rain. Uh, I, I've been off to this for a couple of games, and somehow somehow it always rains, and um, I'm going again, so I expect it to rain. So I, I think that'll be closer to games that Leinster have played against Montpellier in both 2012, uh, which was a 16 hole draw. Sexton got a, a kick from the touchline to get the draw right at the end of the game. And also the recent game that they played in January of last year against Montpellier. So uh, a clash of styles, but f- to a greater than 50-50 degree uh, Toulouse dictating the terms of how the game is played
0: I've been to match a definitely one match in Toulouse and what hit me was how tall the majority of the crowd were and how, mo- how many of them had cauliflower ears that it, it was a real rugby crowd it was, it was the most rugby crowd I've ever seen even, more than, even more than the AIL even more than the AIL um, and actually, the match it reminds me the most of was uh, going to a Dublin Kerry football semi-final. When you looked around, and there was just a lot of big men. There was a lot of guys who had played, like you know, inter-county or club football, uh, and they all wanted to see this match. And like just just the size, and and that that's that's down in Toulouse. So I'll be curious about how Toulouse approach it, how much they're able to get up for a match in October, because it shouldn't be any problem to them. They should really want to take a cut out of Leinster. They should really not want to lose to Leinster at home. They should, you know, like, the Les Brides-Cloche demands that Leinster get nothing easy uh, down in the south of France. So it's a really interesting match from that point of view. It's the match of the weekend from my point, of view, uh, from my perspective.
1: Uh, it would be uh, wrong of me to go much further without mentioning the Freddie Burns incident again. I saw some sort of comparisons to like, um, Ashton dropping the ball when he did a swan dive in some stage. Um, obviously game situations are important. Yeah. Key. Uh, game management, as you would say, um, Something that never came up in all the uh, like remonstrations over Freddie Burns's like just appalling error to like celebrate twice, and God knows I love a double double celebration to celebrate twice. Was it Claremont Pochinow? His career for me will be entirely defined by not putting the ball down quickly enough when Rob Howley snuck in and won a European Cup final yeah. from underneath his nose. Like when I think of Claremont Pochinow, I think, oh yeah. Classic French fullback, a bit flaky. Yeah, and that Lost Cle- a fucking European Cup. Damien Pottineau
2: played, you know, for and he was about brilliant. A, about 15 seasons yeah. for Toulouse and won the Dynamic Cup like, like a number of times and played outside centre really well for them and fullback really well for them.
1: And he was on that team that beat Leinster in the semi final that I referenced earlier on, but by God, the that, is the, that yeah. is the biggest clangor that anyone has ever dropped in it. Like, this bad team aren't going to get out of the group anyway. Like, they can say it's a terrible result, but like, they're not a good team.
2: No, they're not a good team. But uh, and the other thing
1: is, I'm just, I'm just contextualising. Freddie Burns is a shame.
2: Yeah, no, it's a, it's fair. It's a very reasonable thing to do because. Uh, well, one thing was it, we we talked previously about that it was on terrestrial television. It was on Channel Four, and, and uh,
1: now everyone knows his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he could have just been on BT and no one would <laughs> <laughs> get <again. laughs> Hidden away, in BT two,
2: sitting in bonkers bunkers. <laughs> Um, and he's a nice guy. That's the other thing. I mean, Freddie Burns has always come across. Whenever he's been interviewed for on television, he comes across as a very likable chap. When it happened, like, and I think apparently Chris Ashton, people who meet him say he's a nice guy, but that uh, his his barrow dive or swan dive, whatever it is, has uh, has marked him out for so many rugby fans, casual and more. Uh, Hardened, hardened, and dedicated. As like, that's the one thing most people in certainly in Ireland they go Chris Ashton, oh that wanker who dies all the time, Rod and Chris Ashton, one of the best wingers and probably the best try scorer of the last ten years in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. He's that good. He's a, he's a super player. Um, so you know, everyone would have liked to have seen something like that happen to Chris Ashton. When I say yeah, like like to, I don't I don't. They would have liked to have seen it because it, it's wound up so many people. Whereas with Freddie Burns, there's no schadenfreude for it. Like, like I, I sort of wish, I'm, I'm happy for Maydard, who's a wily old mm. fox, to get in and, and to have that but diligence so, and to do
1: it so well. It was, I have this other thing that was like, if he had flicked the ball out of his hand and had gone directly out of play, the referee in the recreation ground would have gone, looked at it again and gone... Oh, you can't knock the ball into touch directly, right? Or play it indirectly. I'm going to give a penalty try, yeah. and he would have done it. And, I, and I, the fact that Mater was like, he'd even gone, no, I have to flick his hand, yeah, and then kick, and the, then ball kick the ball, yeah. just so even if he doesn't, even if he, even that would be a knock on in my eyes. He wouldn't say it wasn't a knock on; it was mm-hmm. your. He, he, the whole thing was in Mater, and like it's just like that's incredible. There's well. a, yeah, it absolutely needs to be commended.
2: It does need to be commended. I absolutely agree with you. And the, but I don't see there's no shadow and Forty for me. But watching Freddie Burns but like he's I'm surprised that he showboated I wouldn't have thought that was in a, like it's a, a classic rush of blood to the head after missing the the penalty kick or banging the penalty kick off the post and then mm. thinking that he'd made up for it so I, I feel sorry for him but I also think that it's it's a you can you know you can have two opinions on it which are you know come quite close to being absolutely contrary to it. I also think it is just a staggering lack of professionalism. I'm mm. I'm so surprised at him. I mean, you know, one of the things we talked about briefly earlier was that lack of professionalism that Nathan Hughes showed, which is much worse in my opinion, mm-hmm. even though it's like it happened in a completely closed context. And in the same room of probably 10 people. When he tweeted from his own disciplinary hearing, like, what a joke.
1: Oh,
2: like, buddy. <laughs> The joke's on you.
1: Well, uh, but, uh, before you jump in, there was a, a good article by Barnsey in The Times, which was one of the free articles I got to read in The Times this week before my limit ran out. Uh, and he was talking about the f- final that Bath won against Breve. Yeah. And he was commentating on it for Sky, and he mentioned how there was, there was, I think when they scored, there were the try that turned the game for them. Yeah. Um, Jerry Goscott sort of had a, a gap to run into. And he was He said in the commentary, wouldn't it be fitting for Jerry Goscott, you know, the best player in our club's history, probably, or maybe the most celebrated player in our club's history, to score a try. And Goscott ran in the gap, drew the man, passed the ball to John Collard, and John Collard scored a try. And he's like, that's what Bath was about when I was playing there. Sublimate yourself to the team. And um, he was just like, you know... He, was, he sort of wasn't really having to go at Freddie Burns he was more having to go it's like it's not a single English club is like that at the moment
2: yeah fully enough I think Saracens are uh, I think Saracens always I think a lot of people especially in, in Irish will be really dislike Saracens I just don't uh, I have a huge amount of respect for what Mark McCall and earlier Brendan Venter had achieved and he, like I remember, and I constantly mention it because it really struck me. I remember listening to a long interview where Billy Vonnipola was, uh, he was on the BBC Sport 5 Live morning broadcast for about three hours. So they always returned to him after they'd done their news and reports and things and just talked to him. And he's as nice a guy as you could possibly meet. There's no side to him. He's really straightforward. He's pretty thoughtful about his game. He says what he thinks and feels about ...injury and about how he played... ...and he's very honest... Uh, ...Macro Von Apollo seems like a good guy... ...I don't dislike a Toge. ...I actually like Owen Farrell... Most, ...a lot of Irish fans don't like him... ...I think he's, he's a magic player... ...you'd want to have yeah. in your team... ...English out half though...
1: ...English, English out half is not a position... ...that most Irish people like... Yeah, uh,
2: ...and then I think McCall has done... ...an amazing job with them... ...you know Saracens obviously had... ...allegedly broken the salary cap... ...for a number of years... ...but they've also produced... ...their own players... Or as near as to produce them in in terms that they've sourced them from, you know, the amateur English clubs when they're quite young, and brought them into a Saracens uh, academy or structure, and a lot of those guys like Jamie George, Maratoge, George Cruz, yeah, uh, Jackson Ray, you know, they're Saracens players, born and bred, and they're really effective. So Saracens are, to me, from what I saw at the first weekend. Uh, Saracens are back to close to their best obviously losing believe uh, Billy that that is for 12 weeks isn't going to help them
0: my thing on the on the the Burns the Freddie Burns is it's it's very difficult like it wouldn't happen on a Joe Schmidt team uh joe schmidt's the sort of guy who looks at uh, kieran reed chasing back on rob garney and and stops the video and like highlights it and is, is all a bit like this the difference you know that's 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 what it takes and it's just constant and um without naming names it's it's the impression is always there that schmidt favors certain players and dislikes certain others um, and I think it's it's just that that's that's kind of the reason um, but it's also uh, you know my, on my, my theme this week of, of how difficult it is for a coach to uh, make it because Todd Blatter, Blackadder like I mean top Blackadder is a you know Harry are South Islander as well yeah. like he's, he's not going to be one and you know he really wants to do a good job down in bath he's he's not going to be telling them to showboat and to kiss the crest and all that express sort of stuff yourselves. but he don't express yourselves but he's like it's too late i mean that happened on his watch and it's done so it doesn't matter what he puts in place now it's it's, it's gone so even he can't get them all to to sort of row in with that and it's it's just that reminder and i suppose we talked about it and we in regards to edinburgh To make the move from where you are as a club, be a quarter-finalist to semi-finalist, semi-finalist to finalist, finalist to champion, it's really hard. Mm. If a team does it, they deserve credit. And this would sort of row in with what Saracens have done. If you don't like Saracens, if you don't like Toulon, if you go, it's all money, it's not. It helps, but it's not all money.